Hello, everyone. Welcome. I just dropped my pen. Welcome to the uh, Why Don't NLP today. And we were going to talk about why don't people that lose the weight keep the weight off. And basically, it, to me, it's all about the same thing. Why is it only about 10%? And I'll just pick a number randomly. There's no big research here, but it seems to be about that 10% mark that want to make a major life change. It's only like 10% stick to whatever change they're going to do, right? Um, and it's, you know, whether it's change a habit, like start an exercise program, change your diet, um, do other behaviors like that, you know, quit drinking, do whatever it is. They get started well, everybody gets started well, but they don't stick to it long term, right? Uh, and that kind of thing always fascinates me, of course, coming from the my main world of, of the therapeutic application, which is addiction. You know, why is it like if you take people with the same demographic, pretty much, you know, if you could equalize as much of the demographics as you can and you put them in a treatment center and they go through the same protocol, they get the same information, yada, yada, yada. And let's say it's alcohol. Oh, maybe 10% will stick with it long-term, right? Um, you know, of course, the numbers and a lot of this kind of self-help stuff get a little fuzzy. You know, I always, I always love being around places and they say, yeah, but like use the 12-step program approach, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, or Weight Watchers Anonymous <clears throat> for those kind of changes. They only have a 10% success rate, right? It, or less. I've heard all kinds of numbers. And I'm like, well, first of all, if it's truly an anonymous program, there's no way to measure the metrics. How do you measure an anonymous program? No. And then you also get into what is, you know, it's just an interesting thing, right? I would say maybe a 10% or less stay active in the 12-step program through time. You know, they'll. Uh, it's not unusual to see someone go into those kind of programs. Uh, and do, you know, be very active in them for a, a few years and then taper off does not necessarily mean they go back to the behavior. You know, I've got some uh, one friend I'm very close with. We uh, sobered up about the same time. Uh, I'm still very active in that world. I don't think he's been to a 12 step meeting uh, in the last 15 years. You know, he's not he didn't return to the to the addiction. You know, he got what he needed and it and it changed his his structure of of how he thought about it. So anyway, but with food, it's interesting, right? Because you know, I, I think we can look at food as somewhat of an addiction, but not the same kind of it, not exactly the same kind of addiction as like alcohol or smoking or mo or drugs, right? Because you can live the rest of your life, never drink alcohol. Contrary to the Budweiser commercials, you could live the rest of your life and never drink alcohol. It wouldn't really affect your life, right? Or get high or do THC or whatever the, whatever the current thing is, right? Uh, including if you go to the other extreme of a behavior addiction like sex, sex addicts anonymous, you know, you could go the rest of your life and never have sex. Well, there's, there's monks that do it, right? Um, ask any person who's been married 35 years or more. Sorry, 
politically incorrect to say something like that. But I mean, you can live without it. But food, if you want to look at food as an addiction, you have to open up that box a couple of times a day. Right? You have to, you have to eat. You have to physically eat, right? So it can't be an addiction in that way, but it can be, you know, it can be treated as uh, some of the same, some of the same things. So why is it only a small percentage, and I'll just pick 10%, you know, seem to stick with it, right? And I think it's a little bit different than most people think, right? Um, you know, when people are trying to make a change, and, and this could be for like changing your diet, which is what we're talking about, could be anything, right? Uh, it's not just raising the ceiling of what you want to accomplish, right? Like getting to the 14% body fat, that's my goal, right? Uh, uh, whatever happens, to, and I'm close, right? Um, I think I'm currently at about 16, right? 15 or 16. Uh, but if you want to you, you raise the ceiling of, of what you want, whether it's your, your body, your, your behaviors and that, your business, whatever it is, it's not just about raising the ceiling. You know, I would argue, and it seems to be, you know, one of my mentors would say, it's more important to raise the floor of what you will accept as acceptable behavior. Right? You can have a really high ceiling, but if you'll accept bullshit down here, I really want to eat healthy, but I'm going to go to McDonald's because it's close. Right? It, it's not an unacceptable behavior. Right? So you have to raise the floor. This is, you know, you don't go beneath it. You know, you know, um, if you saw the movie Top Gun, that was part of what it was about was what's the, you know, how, how, how low could they fly? Right. Uh, but, you know, and they said it for safety reasons. Right. But I mean, what is, you know, so, yeah, you can have these really cool ideals that you're trying to reach. But what is the absolute minimum? you know, that you'll accept. And, and so that whatever that behavior is, it's below that floor, you're not going to do it. And I do know from my world of, of the addiction world is people that, and I'll use alcohol because it's the one I'm most familiar with. Um, in fact, I'm being recruited to go in and do some stuff for a local treatment center that's expanding. And uh, and I, I love doing that stuff. I tell you the truth. I love it. When you teach it and you, and you get that light in somebody's eyes, right? And I'm always thinking, like, if I got ten people in the room, if I can help two, I'm I'm batting I'm batting great. But you know, uh, so in that world, you know, that kind of addiction, I've known people usually somewhere that floor that they set is, you know, I don't drink alcohol under any and all for under any and all circumstances. Or there's no reason I would ever drink, right? You know, like you see, I know people that they're somewhere in their belief systems. When I try to talk to them, it's like, you know, there's nothing. I'll summarize it in my words. There's nothing in my life a drink will make better. This is my anniversary week coming up. St. Patrick's Day is my sobriety birthday. So I think about these things. But there's nothing in my life a drink will make better. I've won major awards in the in my profession. You know, I've hit personal milestones and other things. I've, been, I've gotten cast in a... Uh, a lead in a movie, you know, where I didn't know anybody, 
It was like, it was just like I did the audition and I got the part. Those are great successes. A drink would not make that better. Right? Uh, when I'm, you know, at a, when a play ends or a, a movie wraps and you have the party, a drink, you know, I've been at the parties and some people are partaking, others aren't. It won't make my celebration any better. There's no pain it will take away. Right? There's no pain it'll take away. It could delay the pain, but it won't. It won't take the, the pain away. You know, I've lost my parents. I've had personal issues in my life, like a lot of people. Other tragedies. Doesn't take having a drink wouldn't wouldn't take away the, the, the pain, right? And then lastly, there's no behavior, and this is the hidden one that I had to discover. There's no behavior in my life I need a drink to do, or I think I need a drink to do. No, a light social example might be, oh, you know, the person that says I can't drink, I can't dance till I've had a couple of drinks. Drinking is not going to make you a better dancer. It's going to remove the inhibition. Maybe we can remove the inhibition in another way, but there's no behavior. You know, I need a drink to justify. So if that's the floor. Well, there's no, no nothing that'll make better. There's no pain that'll take away. There's no behavior I need a drink to do. Well, that there's no reason to do that behavior. Okay. So when you think about food, you know, when you begin to think about food, it's somewhat the same thing. You know, it, it, it's, you know, when you're changing your diet, what will be, what will be the acceptable behavior? I was talking a person I'm working with something else. He's a, he's a, in fact, he's leaving today. He's going to a big fight in Tennessee. He's an MMA guy and a jiu-jitsu guy, so he's going to the some big tournament thing, you know, to compete. And he's also a personal trainer. And uh, and we were talking. He says, "Oh yeah, he always gets these people that sign up for his personal training, and they say, you know, I'm going to work out till I get in shape, so I can kind of back out, right?" And and he goes, he tries to explain to him, "No, you work out till you get in good shape, so then you can set the." You can set the floor better and then you can go higher. And he goes, but most people don't want to do that, right? And I know those of us that do hypnosis, NLP, if you ever had clients, they'll say they want to, you know, lose the weight. So they'll change their eating to lose the weight. So then they don't have to, to eat healthy anymore, basically is what it is, right? So it, it's the analogy, you know, as a friend of mine said, <clears throat> he had a real busy practice in the mid, mid Midwest. And he said, you know, when they would go, be going into May, June, and July, especially May and June, the big wedding season, you know, a couple months before that, three, six months before that, you know, he'd start getting these people calling because they want to get, drop weight for their wedding. Right. And he would all, and he goes, you know, and, and at least half of them, they'd hit the weight. Right. But at their wedding reception, they started eating the cake and they never stopped. Right? And then they say, yeah, that hypnosis really didn't work. Bullshit. It got you down to 45 pounds to get you in that size 10 wedding dress. Right? And then you started eating and you, and not only did you go back to the bad eating behavior, you stopped the exercise, you stopped all the other things. Right? And so, so really what it is, and we're always looking for that shortcut. Right. I mean, all of us that are on Facebook and I know if you're every 
Philly's not as much, but if you play on Facebook, how many ads do you see come up about weight loss? This is what all the trainers have wrong. But take my program. This is what I have right. Right? I can get you in like, what is it? Superhero shape and you never have to lift weights. Right? And then he, I don't know, he has some kind of home exercise program. This guy cracks me up because just looking at his physiology, I'm like, dude, you lift weights. You know, there's just some muscle structure in there that, you know, you know, you know. But it's, we all want the shortcut, the hack. Mm -hmm. Or like, uh, what's the big one? They keep advertising it. And I don't know what it is. I, it's just that, but it's here. I always see it on TV. It's go low. And I've seen a few pop up on my Facebook feed. Go low. It's all these people. I lost all this weight and I didn't have to change my diet and I didn't have to exercise. Right? Okay. Right? So people buy it and they do that. So, you know, so really, I think if you really want to change, if you want people or help your clients get into this group, you know, I'm a fundamental believer in all change starts with truth, right? All personal change starts with personal truth, right? And that's kind of a, 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 a Bill Wilson from Alcoholics Anonymous kind of said that. You, you have to be truthful with yourself, right? So if you're really trying to change this, what's the truth? Well, what you're doing isn't working. Right? What you're doing isn't working. Right? Right? And people, so with this, first it starts with truth. And there's really only, a, there's only like, I would say, I've said this in other aspects. There's only three things, you know, or three reasons the person doesn't change and keep the change or yourself. Number one, you know, you don't know how to do it. You don't, you don't have the information that you need, right? If you wanted to go build a, a funnel in a website and you don't know how, you can't do it till you learn how. You may have to learn whatever it is. You know, there's something you do not know. So you have to go learn it. The second one is, right? would be there's something you know, you know it, but you don't do it. No. Now, I know I need to change my diet, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go buy, I'm not going to buy healthy food. You know, it's easier just to go, you know, through the drive-thru, right? Or the third one, you know, so there's something you know, you don't know, you don't know it, so you got to go learn it. Second was you know it, but you don't do it. The third is there's something that used to work, but now it doesn't. Now not, right? Used to work, but now not. And this is one, this is a key one for us, right? In our personal lives and in our clients' lives, right? Because if you've ever had that happen, people come in and go, yeah, but you know, I used to be able to like just change my diet a little bit, work out a couple times a week, and the weight would fall off. Yeah, you were in your mid twenties. You know the hormones were perfect. You didn't, you know, right? And also, there's that magic thing that people forget with this one. You were probably much more active in your physical life than you really think that you look back on, right? 
Maybe you went out, you know, dancing on the weekends. Maybe you did other things that was physically active, right? And then as you, and yes, maybe you only went to the gym a couple of times and changed your diet a little bit, but there was all those other factors involved, you know? So you think, you know, I want to, I should be able to do that, but now it doesn't work. But you're not who you used to be, right? I see this all the time at the health club with people that you could, sadly, they haven't changed their workout in four and however old they are, 40 years, 50 years. You know, they're doing the exact same workout, right? And it's like, it, it used to work and they still may look okay, but they don't, you know, and I call it the broken bodybuilder syndrome. I see it at the health clubs. You know, they're still muscular, but they're always they're always walking around like that. Right? And I make fun of it because I was starting to do it, right? Because I fell into this thing, you know. I knew what to do, but I really wasn't doing it. So I had to go learn new information and change everything about it. Right. And so that and it starts with truth, and that truth is can be somewhat painful. Right, that truth can be somewhat painful, right? But I also stress that with all of this, the reason it's so hard is we're set up to fail when it comes to a lot of these changes in our lives. We're set up to fail, right? It's like How can I describe it? And basically, you know, we're set up to fail, right? And the first is we're set up to fail somewhat by society, you know, by the systems in place. Right? And, you know, it's the food industry, right? I talked, I did a thing and I talked about with some people about, you know, um, they use your, your DNA against you when it comes to changing your eating behavior, right? Because for thousands of years, for thousands of years, your body was built to crave salt, sugar, and fat. You know, you were on the plains of the Serengeti or the Great Plains of America, and you were trying to survive, you needed, cal you know, fat is calorie dense food. So you needed that. Your body was, you wanted the caloric intake, you know, so you'd want, you, you crave sugar. And of course, you always need salt. You ever cramped up? You know what I'm talking about, right? My, like the VA and my personal physician both yelled at me because I have, I usually run low sodium levels because I never touch salt. You know, so I have to force myself to have salt, but your body craves it, right? So that's what your body craves. It's in your DNA. If you get it, you want it because that's what you, that's what's going to sedate or satiate the taste buds. Your taste buds are built for that. You have certain taste buds that will notice fat, uh, sweets or sugar, you know, and salt, right? And so the food industry knows this. So they manipulate the food to make you crave the food, right? Um, the potato chips 
were designed to do this. Right? They have salt cooked in fat, right? And they usually and and plus they're um, they're potatoes, so they're carbohydrate, and and they kind of they sweeten it, right? Same with like French fries. People like McDonald's French fries. Why? Well, cooked in the fat, it's the potato with that, and then they use a, like a sugar spray on it to give it a little sweetness, right? So it's hitting your taste buds. Of course, they taste good, right? So you're set up to fail that way. You know, they use your DNA against you, right? And your D our DNA hasn't reset. We don't need that as like as much as we used to, right? And we don't have the replicators yet, so we could replicate food that could give you the taste without the, uh, the other stuff, right? Um, but so you, they use your DNA against you, right? The second is with this, they, they set your, your threshold. What you find, basically, they're resetting your, your floor for what you find tasting good higher and higher, right? They showed um, somewhere, you could just Google it. There's there's pictures like you took cereal from the 60s, how much sugar was in it, and you take cereal, the same amount of cereal today, how much more sugar is in it? Now, how much more fat, right? And so they set this so you want more of it, right? And then if you've ever cleaned up your diet, if you've ever really started to eat clean, right? And... Um, then you can really can really taste the, the these things, you know, uh, uh, much much more prevalently than before you cleaned up that right. I know I always tell the story. I was in I think it was Asia, Asia, and something was going on, and I let everybody know I love carrot cake, right? I love carrot cake. It's one of my uh, kryptonite, and so. I don't know, we were doing something. And they decided they were going to bring in a carrot cake. For it. You know, they had a carrot cake made. I'm like, oh, great, right? And, you know, so I'm sitting there and after our, our lunch or dinner, we don't have the carrot cake. And everybody's like, oh, wasn't that great? And I'm like, yeah. It was like, not that, didn't taste carrot cakey enough for me. And a guy that was there who, Lives, grew up in Malaysia, but he spent like 20 years in the U.S. He goes, well, I could tell you what it was. I go, what? He goes, you, you are expecting the sweet kind of American carrot cake, not what we think of as sweet. Because they were all saying it was too rich to finish and this and that. And I'm like, it was, but I'm like, that's true. You know, I, I was expecting what I was expecting, right? So they set the threshold higher, right? And there's a book called Salt, Sugar, Fat that I recommend everybody read if you're ever going to work with this or just want some information. You know, they've known this for a long, long time, especially now that they know that this is going on. The food industry will design foods this way, right? And back in the 90s, when the childhood uh, uh, obesity epidemic was just taken off, right, um, some researcher figured out, well, here's a way we can help the children, right? Because they're eating more and more breakfast cereal because now more and more people are in two, uh, both parents work. So you don't have a regular, you may not have a cooked breakfast. It's like, here, have some cereal and hit the bricks, right? You got to get to school and that. So more and more kids were eating cereal, 
right? So he came up with a plan that would help the childhood obesity. And what it had to do was lowering the fat, lowering the sugar, increasing the fiber and the nutrients and the cereal. Great plan. Everybody liked it. Then they had a meeting with the heads of the cereal companies. And I forget which one, Pils Pillsbury or one of the big producers. It's in the book. The head of the that company at the time, after they saw this, he stood up and said, well, I can basically, I'll paraphrase it, but it was something like, well, I think the problem is you're, con you're confusing the fact that, you know, my job is to sell more cereal, get return on investment for my stockholders. It's not about fat little kids. And he left the room. Right? Well, his bonus was based on it. This is what it was based on, right? Um, you know, and it's like, and so they know that, right? And it's kind of like, and I love when they they talk to the lady that was the CEO for until they came out, CEO of uh, Cinnabon, right? And then they were asking, and she looks great. Or she did the the interview I saw it was several years ago, right? And they said, yeah, you know, it's whatever they said. She goes, well, I don't need that. I don't need a cent. I don't need a cent. And then she kind of backtracked with like, well, you know, technically it should be a treat. It shouldn't be a daily thing and this and this and this. But it's like, you know, I, I equate them to drug dealers. A good drug dealer does not taste his own product, right? You don't, you don't use your own product. And that's what they're doing. So it's set up to fail, right? So, you know, when you think about that, you know, and... Once you begin to learn this stuff, right? Um, yeah, the food companies, you know, and even somewhat, you know, the medical industry, we call it an industry, right? Profits from obesity. They're 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 always they're always trying to come up with the perfect pill. They're trying to come up with this, right? And also, if you're overweight and you have you know all the issues that come with the with being overweight, bad knees, bad backs, right? If anybody's been overweight and you've lost weight, one of the things you notice is if you have back, knee, and hip issues, they get better, right? Because you're not, you know. Um, The hidden blessing I got from COVID when I got COVID and damn near died, right, uh, is I dropped about 15 pounds, right? My wife dropped 20 and she's kept off 15. I dropped 15 and I kept off 10, right? And the thing I noticed, my knee's better. Right? I was in shape. I worked out hard and stuff like that. But it was like, you know, hell, I didn't eat for 30 days. You have a tendency to lose weight when you're so sick you can't eat for 30 days. So the weight fell off, right? Um so, but all those health issues that come with it, you know, right? And so when I say the medical, and then you take in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, when you watch, if you ever watch television, I think it's sickening. Every other commercial on there is a drug, you know? And I think it's, somebody did the meta-analysis, 90% of the drugs that they advertise on TV, the number one side effect is it makes you more prone for infections. Right? Fascinating. 
I don't know why this stuff hit us so bad. When, you know, whatever the percentage of the population's on some kind of medication that lowers your immune system, right? So yeah, so so all these, you know, so you take this, right? And again, if these, you know, if the system is set up for you to fail, and even if, if you know, the medical community and the and the pharmacy pharmacy community community the um, you know they're profiting. You know where do you get your information? And then of course you add in the fact how much misinformation there is about food, right? And we people don't know because you know just the way they describe organic, healthy, low fat. You know when they started the low fat thing when uh, you know the uh, sugar industry and it was orchestrated by the sugar industry. When they, when the, you know, heart attacks were raising, all these heart cardiovascular issues, all this other stuff. Well, it was pointing toward the massive increase in sugar. The sugar industry had a great lobby, right? So they spun it all that, no, no, it's fat. Saturated fat is what's killing you, right? You know, the butter, the eggs, the meat, this is what's killing you. Right? So we declared war on fat. So then they came out with all these fat-free products that actually had more calories than the regular product. And they didn't have the fat, so they didn't satiate the taste buds. So if you ate a regular cookie, you might have two cookies and you felt pretty good. You eat a fat-free, you're eating a goddamn dozen of them things. Because they're not, they don't satisfy the taste bud. Right? And to this day, there's people who still think eggs are going to be bad for you. Right? Because they they just they put it out there. And once this stuff gets out there, you know, boy, it's hard to get the information out of people's heads. Oh, well, you know, Will, you you know, tell somebody my average diet, you know, at least probably five days out of the week, my breakfast is four eggs, right? Um, cooked in butter. Oh my God, that will kill you. Once I got the sugar and the carbs out of my diet, my, my cholesterol fell. Not one the eggs. But anyway, it's this information that gets, that, you know, so I love the, and this is a true, you know, this is true stories. We say in, in, in some areas of our culture, this is a no shitter, right, Billy? The Navy and the Army both said, no, this is a no shitter, right? I was at the grocery store and I was buying eggs or something. I was putting them in the cart. And this lady asked me, she seemed nice. It was, she was an elder. I'm mature. She was elderly. There's a difference. <laughs> and she goes, you know, I think I just came from the gym. She goes, you look like you're, you're in shape. Can I, you know, which, you know, she was asking something about the eggs, you know, and she goes, what's the difference between these two? And there was a dozen eggs and then there was a dozen organic eggs that organic. And I looked and I said about three duck, three bucks a dozen. She goes, no, no, no. What's the, I go, lady, they're both organic. They both come out of a chicken's ass. There's no more organic than that, you know? And they were made by the same company. It was probably came out of the same plant, not saying that companies would manipulate the, this, right? And all I said was, I think what you're looking for, ma'am, is range-free chickens or, or the eggs that say, you know, they call it 
no steroids, no you know, no pesticides. That, you know, but but the term organic, I love it. I'll be there. It's like all organic. You know, gluten-free, oatmeal. It's oatmeal. It should be good. But it's that, you know, there goes most the linguistics, neurolinguistics, they're just the words make sense. You know, I can just slap the organic label on the same dozen eggs and charge an extra buck. You know, fascinating stuff. Oh, yeah, Billy, Billy says they're starting to change it. I think the food industry will buy off Congress before the end of this Congress, and it'll, you know, it'll, it won't go through. I think they'll, they'll, they'll flip it back. I have faith in, in unregulated capitalism. That they don't care about your health. They want they want to make another twenty five cents a dozen. Uh, so anyway, all of this is going against us, right? And so you know, I mean, and most people don't want to admit this, right? And then I'll close this part of it. I'll close with, and then sometimes we're set up to fail by our by our families, right? In a different way that society sets us up to fail, you know. Which is if you become height, if you lose the weight and you stay in shape, and you do this kind of stuff, you're 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 weird. You're not the norm. Right? You're not the norm. And you know, and I always say the hardest part about if, if when I help people quit drinking is not putting down the drink. It's keeping the drink down when people say, Well, you can have one. It's been six months. Right, I put. I found a, a a thing where they were interviewing um, David Bowie, who so I think he was I think he was sober like twenty years when he died. Like a lot of rock stars, they they either die young or sober up. But he was being interviewed by the BBC and he said something about that, and the person says, "Well, you do have an occasional beer, or a glass of wine at a celebration." And he kind of, he was nicer and he goes, what part of not drinking don't you understand? But for the average public, it's like, well, it's beer. It's not really drinking. Of course, you'd have a glass of wine at your daughter's wedding. Wouldn't you have a, wouldn't you have a champagne toast at your daughter's wedding? Well, I didn't. A lot of my friends never did. But I remember one time I was at a, when I was working in rehab, my lady was in rehab and her biggest fear was, how am I going to celebrate my daughter's wedding? What am I going to do with the champagne toast? And someone else said to the lady, you know, uh, it wasn't me. It was somebody else goes, boy, you must have had kids really young because you don't look that old. How old's your kids? She says, well, my daughter's six. It was stunning. I'm sitting there going, Jesus, you're setting yourself off like, you know, two and a, boom. It's <laughs> but people do that, right? Right? And it's just what, you know, and, and people just don't understand it. You got to be willing to be a little bit weird. You know, the last play I was in when they did the rap, uh, I still call it rap, that's film. But when we were at the cast party, they were doing the champagne toast they always do at the end of a successful run. And this one made buku money and got great reviews. And so they were doing that. And I had my little bottle of water and they, and the lady, and she was proud. So I felt kind of bad in a, in a D 
devious sort of way. She goes, I bought sparkling grape juice or sparkling cider. So you could, part, you know, you could be part of it. I said, I'm not drinking it. She goes, well, you know, there's no alcohol in it. I'm like, I'm not drinking it. But I, and I said, I thank you for thinking of me. And she goes, well, that's, she said some, of course, then my sarcasm kicked in, right? She goes, well, why not? And I go, that's like, that's like jerking off, masturbating and not getting off. I don't understand why I would start the process if there's no, if there's no kick. I've been in, I've been in rehearsals or in the play for almost four months. So they knew me. They just all shook their heads, but it's like, that's what people do. Right. Right. And so again, you know, you got to be willing to be different. And in some families, we've seen this, you know, I, and I do share this one with my mom, my dear, sweet mother, God rest her narcissistic soul. You know, the only time, one of my favorite treats growing up were, and it still is, Christine will make them every once in a while, is Rice Krispie treats. Little Rice Krispie treats. First of all, my mom had me convinced those things were hard to make, right? When I really found out how they, you know, Christina showed me how they were really made, I wanted to go dig up my mom and yell at her. Right. It's not that hard. Come on, Dr. John. It's like, but it's like the only time my mom would make those for me was usually when I was trying to make weight for the wrestling team. Oh, I made these for you. I got to meet two days. I wasn't eating anything. I was wearing a, anybody here wrestling in high school. I was wearing a rubber suit and doing all that healthy stuff that young male men do. Right. Trying to make weight. And she was making me. And then I go, I can't eat it. Oh, but, you know, I guess you just don't love me. The season ends in, in six weeks. Once the season was over, she'd never make it. You know, then I want to eat because I'm trying to gain weight for football season. Right? And she wouldn't make it. Right? So, you know, so, you know, and then all the other family things that kick in, you know, my favorite, I won't pick on anybody in this group, but, you know, I'm Italian. We have to eat pasta. And not just pasta, but pasta with the, you know, linguine sauce with all the extra carbs and the, and the bad fats and all the good shit like that in it. No, no. So there could be that, right? Or all women in our family get fat at 40, right? Or 45. Or everyone knows women can't, you know... Uh, you can't drop weight after having a baby. You know? And then I'll add this also to, and, then, and you want to reframe this as your floor, right? Which is, if you do this and you actually change your life and change your, your diet and everything, it's fun when people look at you and go, well, it's just easy for you. Just easy for you. And this that statement's true for somebody builds a business, right, John? It's like, oh, that was just easy. You didn't, you don't know how much maybe it was, but you don't know. You didn't see the 20 hour days that they put in for six months, right? Oh, it's just easy for you. And so yeah, it and that's the justification because I'm special, so I can't do it. But you know, because 
Maybe it's my, it's in our genetics, it's in my genetics, right? Whatever it is, right? So anyway, so there's, you know, that's why, you know, to me, going back to this is you got to raise your floor. What's the minimum, you know, you know, what's the hard deck? What won't you go below? No, no. And because uh, I, I remember what made me start thinking about this plus Saturday on so this Saturday, the 18th, is the helping clients and yourself control the food while well, going more detail on some of this stuff. Uh, and if you're going to be in the inner circle, though, these Saturday other classes are going to be free. You know, but I had a client and he was talking about something. He goes, and all I kept wanting to talk about was like, how do you schedule? And my friend that I helped with the fighting says, yeah, clients ask him that. How do you schedule your cheat days? All these diets have cheat days. which I found fascinating. So my first question to him was, first of all, you're not working out hard enough to get a goddamn cheat day. You know, well, I read like, whatever, one of the guys in the Marvel movies, you know, what it, you know, he, on whatever his cheat day, he has like cheese steaks and a couple other things. And I'm like, yeah, but did you read his workout? Right, he's working out three hours in the morning, then he does yoga, then he does this, you know, then they're rehearsing for the movie. Every every bit of food that goes in his mouth is measured, right? Just like the guys in there in the, you know, the NFL guys. It's like fascinating, but he wanted to focus on the cheat day, right? And I know Dr. John has, has had clients like this. The professional athletes, a lot of them now, they don't get out of shape anymore like they used to. And the season ends, the NFL, the NBA, baseball, they just, they keep going. Because back when we when I was young, a lot of guys after the end of the season, they didn't do shit till right before the next season, right? But there's a reason why these athletes are playing into their 30s and 40s at high levels. It's you know, they 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 don't stop. Right. And so anyway, that's you know, so what's your floor, right? Because as you raise your floor. If, if there was a, a a distance between the floor and whatever you want your ceiling to be, as you, as you raise your floor, the ceiling will probably go up and you can do more and more, you know. It's the old four-minute mile rule. Nobody could run the four-minute mile till somebody did it. And now most, most high school track teams, if you're going to run the mile, if you can't break four minutes, you're not on the high school track team. You know, let alone the other stuff. I'm going to stop the recording.